Breaking the Glass Slipper, we believe it is important to have conversations about women and issues of intersectional feminism within science fiction, fantasy and horror. To continue to do so, we need your help. Please consider supporting us on Patreon. Join the conversation by following us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Hello, and welcome to Breaking the Glass Slipper. I'm Charlotte Bond. I'm Lucy Hounsom. And I'm Megan Lee. We are all of us shaped by our childhood. The books and characters we grow up with are the ones that stay with us throughout our lives, and also the ones which help us to shape ideas about ourselves and the society we live in. We spend a lot of time on Breaking the Glass Slipper championing modern authors and groundbreaking characters, so we thought it was about time to devote an episode to discussing the heroines, good and bad, that we grew up with. So, ladies, what is the earliest heroine that you can remember having a, a strong attachment to? It can be from a film, from a book, from TV, anything. Who is the first heroine that you really remember going, that's the girl for me? Yeah, so Megan's totally going to say Princess Leia, um, <laughs> which I'm not going to say uh, because I'm clearly crap and don't watch Star Wars. Uh, but I was thinking about this today and maybe that was because I was in Waterstones and so I was surrounded by books. But I had um, some Enid Blytons and I read The Naughtiest Girl in the School. And I have to say that she was one of my first, like, heroic female characters because I just loved her. I loved the fact that she was a rebel from the start. And yeah, she had no friends and it was her fault she had no friends. But, you know, I, I was with her all the way. I was like, yeah, you kicked that prefect. Um, but, you know, I went on the journey with her and she grows as a character. I mean, Enid Blyton, like kudos to her. She does some real character development. And Elizabeth, the heroine you know, of, the, of the naughtiest girl, she she kind of reforms herself and grows up to be a prefect. And, you know, yeah, it's a bit of a goody two-shoes thing, but she never really loses that kind of rebellious spark. She always does things her own way. And and that's what really appealed to me. Okay. I'm going to say that I'm not that predictable because I wasn't going to say Princess Leia. The reason was because we were trying to think of the earliest heroine that I really remember having a strong attachment to. And this is probably going to come out way of left field, but Ducky from The Land Before Time. <laughs> uh, do you know what? I never watched that. I, I knew it, but maybe I saw like one episode of it. So I, I'm, I'm all ears. Which one was Ducky? Ducky from, from the, well, I'm talking about the film. I've not actually seen any of the other films or the series, so. Oh, I knew it as a series, but I just never saw it. But this is the one with the dinosaurs in. Yes, yes. So Ducky is the, the cute little one that's always like, yep, yep, yep. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. And I I loved Ducky and I loved Spike and I loved their friendship. And yeah, Ducky, yeah, I just really <laughs> loved Ducky when I was little and I still do and yeah although uh today I actually looked it up because it had been such a long time and I could remember her voice and I could remember that you know what the character looked like and for some reason the name had gone out of my head which I felt terrible about um but also I discovered something really quite horrible the the little girl who voiced Ducky um she died at the age of 10 because her father 
killed, shot her mother and her, and then killed himself. And it was really quite depressing. And so that's what set so I, and that's the line I went down this afternoon when I was um, doing my research for today's episode, which is a bit. Shit. Yeah. That's dark. It's crazy. She was 10. Oh, that's my horrible. God. Poor kids. Yeah. And then she, because she was also in um, All Dogs Go to Heaven, but that was released oh. posthumously. Yeah. I remember that film. Oh cried so much of that film yeah it's me too anyway sorry I, I had a high and then a real low but anyway ducky was probably yeah the the very earliest one and if i think of anyone else as really early it would be mary lennox from the secret garden i loved mary See, I wasn't really blown away by The Secret Garden, I must admit. It was just kind of a, a meh thing for me. Yeah, same here. Yeah, didn't get it. Still don't. <gasps> I love The Secret Garden. Ugh. It's like one of my dreams to come across a hidden garden, wilderness. and uh, No, and it's Dick nothing. To, Tom's Midnight ugh. Garden is so much better than The Secret Garden. Oh, that yeah. was good. I love that. Okay. I, I had never even heard of that before meeting you two, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> maybe it didn't make it to, to australia i don't know so what about you charlotte well um i'm gonna show my age here i think the first heroine that i ever remember really cottoning on to and i must have been very very young was juliet in dog tanyon if either of you are old enough to remember that of course dog tanyon and the musker hounds and i don't know why because she was so cute and like had that lovely pink dress that never got mucky or you know was always just just perfect and and oh she i really when i was growing up i really wanted to be juliet from dog tanyon but when it comes to books um I grew up with my parents reading me books and as Lucy and I were talking about previously before we joined the discussion, it was in an era when there wasn't like young fancy children's books that you could read to kids. So you kind of got read adult books. Um, and I was read The Hobbits. Um, Wind in the Willows was read, which of course is very, very lacking in women or female characters. Beatrix Potter, I suppose I kind of like Lucy and Mrs. Tiggy Winkle because we shared a name, but I wasn't really enthusiastic about the idea of washing. So I think for me, for my books and the ones that not only I really connected with, but also that stayed with me all the way through, had to be The Whitby Witches, both Janet and Alice Boston. Janet, because she was well, she was a bit older than me um, when I read it because I was at the end of primary school when I read it. And she she was just great. I loved her. She was like quite grumpy. She did care about her little brother, but you know, she also kind of got into scrapes. She was sensible. She had adventures of her own separate from anybody else. She didn't necessarily need to be rescued by her brother. It was it was really good. I really liked her. And Alice Boston, for me as a kid, suddenly realizing that you could be like 90 and still have adventures of your own and still be considered cool and have all this power. For me, that was a real eye-opener. So they always kind of stuck with me. And I, I've got my Whitby Witches book upstairs ready to read to my daughter. And I hope that, you know, when she's old enough, she will find these heroines just as engaging and life-affirming as I did. And it was just a, a revelation for me. Uh, so I think, you know, and then if you look at the other Robin Jarvis books, he just continues that with, with strong mm. characters, which I think Lucy will agree with. Yeah. Did you read the weird museum? There's some good. Oh, yeah. But I was thinking more of the depth of mice with the heroines they have mm -hmm. in those, which do, do they count as, as female or Isabel from, um, Oaken Throne definitely yes. counts. 
Oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah, that was what I was thinking. And they were just, they were just amazing. So I'm pretty much any childhood heroes or heroines usually come back to me for Robin Jarvis. Um, so what about sort of in, in other things, just general brainstorming of stuff that affected you when I was, when you were a kid? Cause I was thinking I used to watch, um, the Muppets and the animals of Farthing Wood and, and stuff like that. And there was sort of always a, a good mixture of, of characters in there. What about you guys? What were the other things that you watch and read as kids? Well, as Lucy pointed out, Princess Leia was a huge inspiration for me. Now, she is a freaking badass. So, like, of course I was going to love her. And I wanted to be as awesome as her. I wanted to be able to shoot guns. I wanted to be able to boss the boys around. I wanted to also be sexy and and witty and yeah I don't know everything about her was just so awesome and and she I don't remember feeling like I'd ever seen anything else like her and yeah I as soon as I saw Star Wars I was like that is my woman but uh, if we're thinking outside of Princess Leia who is clearly the the best character of of all time uh (laughs) I also wanted to give a shout out to Princess Jasmine because I found her wonderfully sassy and independent and, you know, she wasn't afraid to have an opinion and stand up for herself. And I think the the line that really sums up why Jasmine is awesome is the line that says, I am not a prize to be won. Um I just, I really loved that, that she was just like, no, I am a woman and I can choose things and, and whatever. It's not like boys can fight over me and, and they get to decide. I get to decide. And, you know, basically your mind's bigger than yours kind of debates going on is not going to win her over anytime soon. Yeah, so I, I'd agree with that. And also she does that pretty bold move by kissing Jafar. I mean, like how, how yeah. other Disney heroine actually does that? She's like, okay, I find him repulsive, but you know what? I like Aladdin and I'm going to help him win. And you know what? I'm going to do this. And she bloody does it. And I'm like, whoa, you know, guts girl. Yeah. Jasmine knows how to is- play a man. <laughs> Yeah, she does. Yeah, well, I like Desmond. I also like Belle and Mulan, who are my favourite. They, um, Beauty and the Beast and Mulan have always been my favourite Disney films. Um, but obviously, Beauty and the Beast came before that, and that's one of the, the earliest. Belle is obviously one of my earliest kind of heroines as well. Just, but you know, we needn't go into that because everyone knows Belle is cool and she's bookish and goes on adventures and saves her father and falls in love with a hideous beast and sees through his hideousness and to the purity within um and there we go um we've talked a lot about beauty and the beast and whether it's problematic in certain places yes but Belle as a character you know i stand behind her you know she's she's pretty cool i i never liked aurora for example i never liked um cinderella i really hated cinderella um and i i didn't like um ariel i felt all of these women were victims um and i think that's maybe why i like mulan and Belle because they stride out and they take uh their their fates in their own hands i did like ariel's song though oh. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know don't you think that ariel's proactive she kind of goes out to get her man i mean i know she's sort of 
played and, and victimized, but she at least takes a fate in her own hands, which isn't so much with Sleeping Beauty and Cinderella, which I agree are very, very passive heroines. But there's a little bit of sparkiness in, um, mm. in Ariel. I feel, you I know, don't know. I it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, maybe it's, yeah. I think the thing that really freaked me out about Little Mermaid, and this is, this was saying something because this is from when I was like eight, seven or eight, so it must have stayed with me, is I couldn't stand it when her voice was taken away. I couldn't watch it. It made me so upset and frustrated that she couldn't articulate what she wanted to say. And it's like kind of only dawned on me at like years later why that was so um that hurts so much to watch something like that. To be like, you know, she's got words to say and you've taken the power the power has been taken away from her to speak. And I think that's why my sister and I would really agree with this. Like we never watched A Little Mermaid. Like when we had all, all our Disney films, we never watched that one. We watched it a few times and the rest of the time we kind of ended up continually going back to our favourites. I feel you were a much more aware child than I was <laughs> because I mostly liked the song part of your world and Les Poissons because... Les Poissons! Les Poissons! Les Poissons! How I love Les Poissons! <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, I'm a very mature watcher of Disney films to this day. Well, I mean, I didn't like articulate it about you know female agency and 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 you know like I did I didn't ever think about that at the time. I just remember feeling frustrated and upset. And I've just like you know years later, especially since we talk about this a lot on this podcast, that we talk about you know um, women being silenced and 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 not having destiny in their own hands and being um you know victims of uh sexual inequality um i've kind of like looked back on that the earliest feeling and kind of put you know put it into words a bit and i think that's possibly why i really didn't like that film because i don't know i just felt that she'd given up too much of herself to other people you see i never really got on with jasmine ducks behind a cushion before Megan has a, a big like what but I just I couldn't quite enjoy her world and the journey she went on because it's all very much about Aladdin's journey and yes Jasmine is is very proactive but she is so stifled and I know that's the point of it but I found it too stifling to watch I found it really quite uncomfortable viewing However, the newest one, the uh, the live action one, is a firm favourite with me because they really big up Jasmine's role. And yes, she's kind of stuck in the palace, but they give her more to do and more to think about and better aspirations. Because at the end of the day, she, the aspiration of Jasmine is just to marry someone decent. And it all centres around marriage. And I know that it does for the other characters as well. But it almost feels like marriage is the end goal for her full stop. There is nothing else to this character. I really liked the live action one where they started sort of exploring more political roles for her within the palace. I thought that was really interesting. And while I'm not too keen on the cartoon Jasmine, I have to say that the live action Jasmine is one of my favourite reinventions from the, the Disney franchise. Haven't seen it. Can't comment. Oh, well, uh, I know what your Christmas present you. is. <laughs> I have Disney Plus. I could watch it. Oh, you should. It's really good. Mm, yeah. Well, I'll maybe I'll watch it, but only if Jafar is hot. Jafar is very hot. <gasps> oh, yeah. Jafar is hot. Oh my yeah. god. Have Sign you not me seen, up. 
Have you not no. seen all the stuff going around Twitter going, this is an amazing Jafar. The guy is just, oh, he is amazing. Oh Definitely my God, he's it. my favourite character in Aladdin. He's so, so you hot. need to watch it. He is very, very cool. One of the things I wanted to ask you about, because in our questions we talked about books, films and TV. When I was a kid, I used to read comics as well. And I've been looking at the Beano, which my daughter gets these days, and there are definitely some more female characters in there. I must admit, I haven't read any of them to see how updated they are. But when I was a kid, I used to read the Mandy comic, which then merged with the Judy comic to be Mandy and Judy. And I used to love those as a kid because they were all focused around young girls, um, sometimes teenagers, sometimes a bit younger. They had interesting adventures and they were just so many different genres that you'd have horror you'd have a sort of a romancy one you'd have action you'd have fantasy you could have all sorts of things they were just just brilliant and I can't think of anything today that really matches that even though we have a a blooming comics industry there doesn't seem to be a, a weekly comic for young girls that has these fantastic stories that I grew up with I must admit if I went back and read them now I'd probably go wow they're really twee but I remember finding them as just wonderful when I was a kid. And I wondered if you guys had anything like that that you had. <laughs> it sounds very 1950s. Well, it, I know what you mean, like Bunty and all that kind of thing. But this was comics and they had a, such a wide variety as well and it showed girls working together. And one of the things I was thinking about when I look back at the stuff I read, it was a lot of girls pitted against girls in the books I read as a kid. And I really valued the Mandy and Judy because they were, yeah, they were pitted against girls, but there was there was also a lot about friendship and kind of forming that group. When I think back to some of the books I'd read, a lot of it was girls and boys having adventures together or girls versus girls. And I was thinking about that with um, the School for Good and Evil, which we've got a review for on our website, which is a book that my daughter is currently reading, which again is pitting girls at school against other girls at school. And I'm like, where's the, where's the sisterhood? Where's, you know, this concept that you know you can be you can be friends with other girls you don't need to form like a, a freak clique or anything like that you can just have a good time at school and have adventures without needing to be labeled or to be up against the other girls I feel like it's dramatic to say it's like an offshoot of toxic masculinity but you know it, it, it's the sense that um well toxic masculinity is about in a way pitting women against women because that's a very male view of women the fact that women cannot have a sisterhood because they're so busy clawing each other's eyes out over men or some kind of male related theme I feel like this is a kind of anti-sisterhood argument oh I'm absolutely with you and I think there's also like I say I was thinking about the secret seven and you tend to get good strong female characters that kind of mixed in with with boys you know and you can't you just don't seem to have this idea or at least not when I was a kid I mean it's massively different now and I'm sure we can point to dozens of books but that does lead me on to another question which are there any heroines that you guys loved as a child that you now look back on and find problematic and do you find yourself still able to love them despite growing up and seeing their flaws did anyone see the adventures of Willie Fogg oh my goodness yes yeah he's a lion Yes, nope. and he he's got a cat with a beautiful outfit. Yeah, yeah. a beautiful outfit. I'm oh all about God. the cartoon outfits. <laughs> yes, I know. And I wanted to be her because she was so beautiful. She was like an Indian princess. 
Um, and he rescued her from some, I think they were like, I don't know, doing some, probably something fearful and terrible. And, and he rescued her and, and then she became his wife, I think, in the end. And they went around the world together on, in 80 days. Um, but yeah, I loved her um, and I wanted her outfit and I wanted to be her. But then I don't know, I haven't watched it for a while, but looking back, I'm not entirely sure that she's, I think she's a bit lost in his shadow. I, I wouldn't say that she's... You know, at the time I thought, oh, how wonderful. But I think that that might have been my kind of little girly brain looking at her beautiful outfits and her elegance. And and these were all very kind of feminine attributes, whereas Willie Fogg was the one who did all the heroics. No, I totally know what you mean. Um, and I, I kind of feel a bit like that when I look, when I watch Dog Tanyon, which is something I still need to show my daughter. But yeah, I look at Juliet and go, oh, how could I ever think that was a great role model? Well, also, try, correct me if I'm wrong, but because I'm, I'm trying to, I haven't seen it for so many years, but I had a massive crush, like so many of my generation, on um, Robin Hood Fox. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, right. But Maid Marian, again, I loved Maid Marian in there. I just thought, oh, another hot fox, but a lady version, and she's really pretty and elegant and nice. But I'm trying to remember what she actually did in that film that was nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, see, this is this is pertaining to Charlotte's question. I thought she was great, but looking back, I'm like, mm, why? <laughs> well, I remember they first introduce her where she's nice to those kids, isn't she? But she also kind of teases them, and she pretends to be the the damsel in distress so that the young the young rabbit can act out his fantasy. Which now I phrase it like that sounds terrible. <laughs> but yeah, I'm trying to think. I, I know she helps some people. She kind of. She definitely helps on the sidelines, doesn't she? I think she helps some of the villagers out when the castle is burning and things like that. But it is very definitely. Uh... So, it's so, honestly, what's coming out of this is like these these two characters that I actually remember watching when I was like eight. That I that these two women are. I clearly liked them for their appearances and their elegant femininity rather than what they did. And obviously, as a child, I was forgiving of the fact they didn't really have a massive plot role other than, you know, act on the sidelines and be the damsel in distress for the hero to rescue. Um, and clearly now I'd be like, whoa, that's a major problem with that. But as a child, it let it pass. Um, maybe that's the reason we have, you know, we live in an unequal world today that we, we let this stuff pass. It kind of flies under the radar. Well, this could be part of the reason why I quite like Morticia Adams growing up. And I don't necessarily mean the films, which came, I think, in the late 90s, because anybody who's of my generation and grew up in the 80s and only had like a couple of hours of kids TV might remember that at BBC Two, at six o'clock every day, they would show a serial of some description. I think I watched Buck Rogers, Battlestar Galactica. Um, they had The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, but they also showed the Adams Family from the 1960s, the black and white serial. And I've been re-watching the Adams Family films over the Halloween half term. And I had a quick look at some of the older episodes on online on YouTube. And I have to admit that combined with a pretty impressive dress and a huge amount of femininity with that long black hair and that thick lipstick and the, the eyes and everything, that's I found Morticia Adams to be a really interesting character because theoretically she is the wife, but she's quite forward. She is very clearly an equal partner in the relationship, which I think you don't get 
in the previous things that we were talking about, like Robin Hood and Around the World in 80 Days, they were, they were all kind of, they were strong secondary characters, but they were still secondary characters. Um, and I'd kind of like to put Morticia Adams on a, a level with Miss Piggy on the Muppets, who is another inspiration from my childhood, which you guys have got to share because she's just amazing. And yep, secondary character, but always dominates the screen. And bossy and overtly flirtatious and yet still so cool, which is not something I ever really experienced as a kid growing up with female characters. You're, none of you are going to come out in defence of Miss Piggy. Uh, no. No, you didn't like Miss Piggy. No, no. Why not? Well, in fairness, I liked her more than Kermit. <clears throat> but, <laughs> wow, bold words. Yeah, no, not not a fan of Miss Piggy. She was just, to me, she was a nagging wife, you know, the annoying woman playing into the kind of stereotype of, Oh, you know, the the woman is such a ball and chain. Like that's just what I felt like Miss Piggy was. Um she was the diva, the yeah, no, did not like Miss Miss Piggy. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. And I'm going to go one step further and say I never liked the Muppets. <laughs> <gasps> yeah, I never got them. I I still don't get them really. Uh they just don't yeah, they never did anything for me. I remember having to watch endless episodes of Sesame Street. Um, maybe that that put me off. And everyone goes on about the Muppets Christmas Carol, and I'm like, no, please, yeah. please don't make me watch it. Please, no. <laughs> it's amazing. You see, as much as I love the Muppet Christmas Carol, I do feel that it is best viewed with a knowledge of all the characters or the Muppet characters already and having seen them and grown up with them. Because I think a lot of the humour is lost unless you're a fan of the Muppets already. The one that I really like is Treasure Island. Um Muppet Treasure Island with Tim Curry, Jennifer Saunders, Billy Connolly. That just oh, they're just fantastic. And for me, that is a good Miss Piggy role because I would suggest very tentatively that the Miss Piggy role within Muppet Treasure Island doesn't fall foul of the things that Megan disliked in her in other roles. She's not the nagging wife. She is the the young woman who's been marooned and wanted to seek adventure and is just making the best of things and is happy to, you know, hit people with clubs or wheedle them with her feminine wiles, whichever one will get her to a goal quicker, which I think is a nice, bold female role model compared to some of the ones that we were presented with otherwise. Okay, but Miss Piggy... Is the same as the Smurfette problem, really. Because other than Miss Piggy, what Muppet female characters do you recall? There's the cool musician. Isn't there a female musician with long long blonde hair and an orange face? Uh, okay. I, yeah. As Does she have much to do? No, I, I see where you're <laughs> going with this point. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I mean, okay, so Miss Piggy wouldn't necessarily pass the, the sexy lampshade test, but it's a really cool sexy lampshade when you're a kid. I just I just think there's still value in her character. There might not be other women to work with or against, but she is so much trying to fight back against the patriarchy and to be her own self within the male-dominated world of the Muppets and Gonzo whatever, that... I just kind of feel that she's still a valid a valid character, but I can tell that my opinion is dividing the, the podcast. Look, I mean, you know, 
if you love her, then love her. That's it's completely allowed. You can love whoever you want to love. Um, that's you know fine. I just uh, like to point out that the Muppets. While I did really enjoy the Muppets as a kid, and still do love Muppet Christmas Carol because it is the correct opinion to have, <coughs> Lucy. Um, I, it does. It has the Smurfette problem. You. You can't have sort of one female character amongst all the men. And, you know, I say that also loving Princess Leia, who is also a Smurfette. So, and I I, I do think that that is still quite often an issue in, in stuff today as well. Um, but circling back to your question, the thing that I found difficult to think about, you know, heroines I loved as a child... And, you know, my, what do I still love them? The number of female characters that I loved as a kid is a very few and far between. I really tended to struggle with a lot of the female characters in the literature and, you know, TV and films that I watched. I just didn't particularly like them. And as a young girl, I was quite a tomboy. And I used to say that I wished I was a boy. And my, pretty much all my favorite characters, other than, say, Leia, really, like, massively, um, they were boys. And I just thought boys had the more interesting things to do. And whenever, I don't know if you would play games like this but we um my friends and I would often play games where we would be some of our favorite characters or like act out characters from Disney films and so on in the backyard and you know some of my friends would you know fight over who got to be Belle or who got to be Cinderella or whatever and I was always desperate to be either the male lead or one of the awesome male sidekicks. And yeah, I think that, you know, now I look back at it and I see that it's because the the female characters that I saw in in the stuff that I was watching and reading, they just didn't have much to do. And I didn't find that interesting at all. I wanted to be one of the boys that got to go on adventures and and do really fun things. And yeah, so usually when we played those games, I would always, for some reason, play Mowgli or um, I'd be Bagheera. <laughs> I love them. And I think I just like the idea of going off into the jungle and, and going on my own little adventure completely away from parents and things like that. Um, but yeah, I I struggle to think back now um, on, on heroines that I loved as a child just because they really were so few of them. But yeah, I think you raised a really interesting point. I don't know, I'm sure Charlotte was going to agree because it's I it's I true. was. Absolutely. I was going to say this this works really well on um another question I have, but I just wanted before we leave this topic entirely, I just wanted to say that when I was a kid, I absolutely adored a book called Which Witch. And I loved this book as a kid and I devoured it several times. And I sent it to a young girl that was learning how to write. This was like a, a decade ago. And then I sat down and reread it, having sent it to her and told her it was a brilliant story. And I went, 
do you know what this is? This is basically a story about a magician who's trying to find a wife. And although I really loved it, I'm rooted for the obvious good witch. What it actually tells me is that the witches only come into it to be considered as wives for the wizard. And not only are they pitted against each other, and the most powerful one is shown to be a fraud and is, you know, roundly despised, but actually the the good one only wins because the little boy helped her. And I look back on this and I went, I remember thinking this was wonderful as a kid. And now when I read it, it's got so many very unfeminist messages in it. And I was just so surprised. I mean, Point Horror, I recently reread and it was, the characters are still the same as I remember, but it's just more badly written than I remember it being. But, you know, for me, growing up as as a kid and someone who loved horror, but wasn't necessarily allowed to watch the more adult horror films and horror shows, Point Horror for me was something fantastic that I used to love. And yes, all of the girls in it are like, the last girl, they are so stereotypical cheerleaders or babysitters or whatever. But I did really enjoy that. And because I think they were so badly written and just a bit of fun, you kind of didn't take them too seriously. And I found that a really good balance to the other books that, you know, obviously do try and deliver more moral messages. But it was interesting what you said, Megan, about what you used to play as a kid and you always wanted to be mildly. Because when I was thinking about it, I thought that There were so many heroes in the books that I read that whenever I played imaginary games, I always cast myself as the sister or the girlfriend of the main character. And I had equal powers or equal influence, whatever. And quite often I ended up saving them. My favorite being Star Wars, where I used to be, imagine myself as Luke's sister or girlfriend or whatever. And I was also, I just basically wanted to be a Jedi. And, you know, it was equal to Luke because Leia for me was partitioned off in the the Han Solo and, and Leia section. It was kind of like they were a couple and that was it, but they were still Luke free and you could still go on adventures with him. So I used to kind of role play that in my head or with my dolls or whatever. Um, so I thought that was a really interesting division between us that you always used to play the guys, whereas I always used to imagine a brand new character who would be a sidekick of some description, but more powerful. So, I mean, Megan, do you think you did it that way simply because you just had more heroes to read about and you went you know what all the cool guys that I'm reading about or watching on tv are guys so I'm going to be them rather than reimagining them as a woman or doing what I did and imagining yourself as a, a sort of an equal but of a different gender yeah definitely I would say that the male characters just seemed far more interesting and far more like me um the thing is I tended to find that a lot of the female characters were, you know, air quotes, girly. And I was never a girly girl, and I'm still not. And, you know, I wanted to be out running around in the dirt and throwing things and shouting and, I don't know, whatever. I I just, I... Yeah, I, I didn't ever feel like I could really relate so many of the female characters because they were so often such stereotypes that to me and I think that's that's why I used to say like I wished I, I was born a boy it was because it it just seemed to me that the ex, all the exciting things happened to boys the boys got to have all the fun the boys were more interesting you know and I 
I just couldn't understand it. You know, girls, we got Barbie dolls to play with. And I, I mean, I couldn't understand what on earth I was meant to do with that thing. I drew all over its face and then ripped its head off. So, you know, I, I'm clearly not the person who was into Barbies and that's fine. But I just couldn't see myself in any of the the, the female characters. And, and again, that's probably why I latched on to Leia so much when I did finally see Star Wars as a kid, because she was really one of the first properly female characters who's allowed to be beautiful and sexy, but also masculine in other ways and that she gets stuck in when with the fighting. Although having said that, you know, the Luke and Han go off actually in their spaceships and, and fight against the Death Star while she is standing around um, back at the base, which, you know, is a little bit unfortunate. But thankfully she gets to do a bit more in the later ones. But yeah, I think for me, I was just seeing male characters got to do interesting things. So I'm going to follow them. Mm-hmm. I'd say it's interesting also that, you know, thinking about kind of probably the earliest female character that I, I clung to being Ducky, who, yes, Ducky is a girl, but given that she's a dinosaur, there's nothing really girly in her physique, in her, her physical characteristics, how she's drawn. I think maybe her more androgynous depiction may well have struck a chord with me. I don't know, but... um certainly something to think about well i vaguely remember the land before time the movie them kind of having quite equal roles and sort of careering along together and none of them being particularly more competent the other than the other they were all on their journeys of discovery which is very different to some of the other books that i read as a kid or films that i watched particularly like lucy and i were talking about with around the world and dog tanyan and things and robin hood where they're very definitely there to support but I remember the land before time just being a load of dinosaurs going out and trying to make it on their own there was a lot more equality there I think yeah I mean I think what we're saying is that we didn't see so many female characters with agency and with their own storylines you know that their storylines the the ones that you know I remember fondly I remember them fondly because they were pretty and they had nice outfits rather than I remember them because they had amazing storylines or they took fate into their own hands like the ones that you know the, the ones that stay with me most are the ones i've described like that one enid blighton character like mulan like bell um because i felt like they actually they were the heroes of their own stories um whereas the other ones that i've referenced are you know they they they're still with me but in a different way they never really had a kind of storyline. I mean, I think this is why when I saw Labyrinth when I was quite young, that that Sarah was such an important character because she's definitely the hero of that story. And um and while I was a little bit older when I first saw that and I wasn't so much a child and the reason I liked it so much is because we were so similar, you know, I've always been a massive daydreamer. I'm pretty sure my mum said, you should have dates at your age. <laughs> so, um, which is totally true um i was just like sarah and played with my dolls and my fantasy books um but yeah to see a female character with a plot line i think is is where we're kind of getting down to because they're so often supporting characters um 
you know, and when they're a supporting character, they can only be so much. They're really set dressing. They're not people so much. They're, you know, they're they're there to complement the hero. Um, and I think that, you know, it's a really, it's kind of a sad truth. And there are definitely some exceptions and we have already covered them. Um, but it, the overwhelming feeling I'm getting from this whole conversation is that there just weren't enough of them to, you know, there weren't enough of them to kind of balance out the quantity of stories that were male-led, you know, that where we we followed a man on his journey. And this is very much echoed by my reading when I was a teenager um, of all those kind of male farm boy fantasies where they were so, so rarely women. Well, it's interesting you should mention Labyrinth, and I'm quite shocked, frankly, that we got so far through and nobody's mentioned it quite yet. But one of the things I thought about Labyrinth um, compared to the Disney princesses, just taking a perfect example, uh, whether it's Ariel or Jasmine or Cinderella or whatever, the thing I realised about the Disney princesses and other characters is they're quite often fighting against society. So their journey is to try and get rid of society's expectations of them, whether that's a mermaid that doesn't associate with humans or a girl who's not allowed to read books. So they're always pitted against society and usually society is represented by you know, Gaston or Triton or whatever. And yeah, you can overcome that one, that one person. But at the end of the day, you've still got all of society against you. I think what Labyrinth did was it pitted one woman against one man. And yeah, okay, you had that bit at the beginning with the, the stepmother, oh, why don't you have dates and all this kind of thing. But then it was kind of almost seen that her rebellion against society was a good thing. And it was completely forgotten after that. And it was just a focus on getting somewhere and getting the baby and just winning. And I think that made it very interesting and very unique from the point of view of stories. And I appreciate that I'm generalizing horribly. And there's probably a decent amount of stories around when I was a kid where it was just one woman pitted against, you know, some magical fantasy. But for me... Or you mean one woman pitted against her sexual awakening. Well, that is another problem, isn't it? There, there, that does seem to be, as you get older, the bit that they sort of focus on. But it was just so nice to have a, a proper villain and to go, you know what, it's Sarah versus the Goblin King and it's a battle of wits and a battle of bravery and courage. And yeah, there was friendship and stuff. But also her <laughs> sexual awakening. <laughs> Come on, that whole scene. That's what's so good about Labyrinth because it is a sexual awakening film. And, and that is part of, and I think maybe this is like the crux of what we're saying is that we see so many men being nurtured from boys to adults, you know, on this journey, but maybe not so many girls becoming women. Why are directors and storytellers so frightened to, to tell the story of how a girl becomes a woman? Maybe because it's so fraught with stereotypes and it's so fraught with women's relationship with men that it, it that sort of stuff gets in the way why can't we have more stories where we literally are like from you know it, we're looking at women from the inside you know inside the head of women which is i think what we're saying is that so often we see stories of women growing up but they're all from the outside and they're all very much from society's view and very often from a male view. Having talked quite a lot about depictions of girls and women when we were kids, 
there's got to be a comparison drawn with children's fiction or even teenagers' fiction today. Now, obviously, I have a daughter, so I'm, I'm reading quite a lot of stuff. Um, I know that Megan is a big fan of Disney Channel. Um, so hopefully we've got some comparisons to draw. Uh, personally, I think that it is changing a decent amount. And I bought some banana books, if anybody used to read them when they were a kid, that I used to read. And I compare them against the books that come home with my daughter from school. And there is a massive difference. There are people of colour in the books she brings home. There are people with disabilities. There are stories revolving around female characters as much as male characters having adventures. And I still think that it's just wonderful, the new stuff that is out there. But then, and I hesitate to comment on this because my daughter really does like it, but I kind of feel like some of the offerings out out there, like the School for Good and Evil, does perpetuate this idea of pitting girls against girls within a society that's made up of teenagers and, and particularly a school society, and also dividing up girls and boys and I know that it also has a very positive ending, but I kind of feel like the journey to get there is the same journey I had as a kid. So based on your readings and watchings in the current era, what do you guys think of the differences between then and now? Okay, here comes children's animation time with Megan Lee. So, (laughs) I'm sorry, I laughed laughed so hard at that. (laughs) It's just while the microphone was off. Sorry. Go on, I just had to let you know it was massively appreciated. That's so cool. We should have children's time with Megan Lee every week. <laughs> I just Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure that that's just very wholesome. <laughs> children's time with Megan. Okay. <laughs> right, kids. Auntie Megan's gonna let you in on some secrets. Uh, well, and some bad I'm, words. <laughs> I mean, yes, all of that is also accurate, but (laughs) the point is that I love children's animated shows. I just, I really, really love them. And I think that there's a lot of great humor and heart to them that you kind of miss sometimes in sort of adult shows. And everyone wants to be gritty and dark. I'm like, no, I just want to watch Phineas and Ferb. Um, (laughs) But on that, I have been re-watching Phineas and Ferb for the umpteenth time because I love it and it just makes me feel happy. But when thinking about this episode and what we'd be talking about, I actually reflected on the two main female characters. You have Candace, the sister, who's always trying to bust her brothers. The other main feature of her personality is that she's obsessed with her boyfriend, Jeremy. Then there's Isabella, who is quite literally the girl next door. And she is the only, well, girl, female character who interacts with the, the boys on a regular basis. You know, she has two main character traits, that she is a fireside girl, which is basically their version of the Girl Scouts, and that she is completely obsessed with Phineas. And it's just like, wow, so two female characters there that isn't the mum and they're both kind of one of two major character traits is about boys. And that was a little bit depressing when I realised that because I love this show. It's just great fun. It's really funny. There's some really catchy songs. I mean, Perry the Platypus is amazing. Dr. Doofenshmirtz, like honestly, great show. But 
when I actually start to think about it, the female representation in it is shit. And that was really, really depressing. But there are some really good ones out there. So I have to give a massive shout out to Steven Universe because you have Steven, who's the titular character. He's a little boy and he is entirely surrounded by women. And the women he is surrounded by are all powerful superheroes and they're going to save the world and they're trying to help him. And he's he's just delightfully different. And the relationship he has with the gems, the the women who look after him, basically, it's just really lovely. Um, I, I'm not explaining it very well, but it's really sweet. And all the women around him are fabulously strong while also having their own little flaws and quirks and they argue with each other and with Steven and but they all come together and it's just very it's lovely to see I I can't say anything other than it's just a wonderful show and set up to to have that also on like the Disney front I really loved Gravity Falls even though there's only two seasons I would say this has problems but the the two main characters are Mabel and Dipper. They're twins. And they both have obsessions with the opposite sex. So I feel, feel like it's slightly better because both of them have it. Whereas, you know, in some of the others, it's just the girls that get obsessed with boys or whatever, whereas Dipper is obsessed with Wendy. So it kind of makes it okay. But on the other hand, Mabel is just generally boy obsessed. And there's a lot of jokes about her and her female friends just generally being boy obsessed they love boys oh boys boys whereas dipper just likes wendy and he's very single-minded about that and i think that that does unfortunately come across as the girls being flighty silly and so on in that kind of very stereotypical way which is unfortunate just uh one more quick shout out to little witch academia because i really enjoy this show but it uh we we talked about earlier about how you have female characters, you know, girls in schools and things like that, where they're constantly pit against each other. And there obviously is a little bit of that in Little Witch Academia because they're at a school for girls. But A, you get some really great friendship groups. And B, even the kind of the main girl that they don't get along with, the, the main character, she does reach out to them and, and they actually are kind of friends and in some ways they help each other they're not really massively against each other like some shows or or setups are so I really like that it's just a very positive show you know the the main character is just constantly messing up and she's just a bit hopeless but she always has a positive attitude and her friends are always there and they all look out for each other and it's just it's just really nice um, I clearly need a little bit of positivity in my life because I really love these shows where it's just like, yay, we're going to help everyone and everyone's wonderful and we love you all. Um, but yes, and I do think that that is a nice thing to see in in children's fiction. Um, obviously, I think that the the kind of dark things have their place. You know, I would be very sad if something like The Dark Crystal, that I hadn't seen that when I was small because that gave me so much. But at the same time, I'm really loving seeing these kind of shows that are positive. They're embracing different kinds of gender roles. 
and just really kind of showing kids that there can be you can be whoever you want to be you don't have to be a specific thing to fit into what society thinks you should be you can be all sorts of different things and I think that's wonderful I think that is an amazing example and for any mums we've got out there I think to balance that out I have to mention Peppa Pig and Ben and Holly which are produced by the same company and have the same voices weirdly enough but in our house, Peppa Pig was banned because despite being a girl and being apparently the thing that all young children want to watch, it was just an awful show. I haven't seen that much of it to really comment on it in in great depth, but we did watch a lot of Ben and Holly. And I have to say that in that, in contrast to what Megan was saying, there are very definitely stereotype roles and gender roles and there are the elves versus the fairies and all the different things that they they have. And basically, my daughter was allowed to watch Ben and Holly if at the end we talked about how horrible all the characters were and how you weren't allowed to be like that in real life. So I think there are still some major commercial kids shows that are perpetrating the stupidity and the societal ideas that were around when we were a kid i can't believe no one has talked about avatar the last airbender or the dragon prince or the new she-ra because these are big big deals i mean i think like avatar is 2005 so it's getting on but it was way way after i mean i was like 19 in 2005 so um yeah well after my childhood um but that's a fantastic show for leading women and for, you know, just actually just, it's just generally amazing. Katara is a wonderful character. And then of course they followed up, up, up with Cora again, an amazing show, much more where we have women with their own storylines and their own growth arcs. Um, Dragon Prince. I've really enjoyed Dragon Prince. Um, again, full of very interesting characters. Um, they're rep is really good like a, a very good for diversity kind of across the board as well i haven't watched the new she-ra but so many people keep telling me the she-ra is amazing so i feel like you know that there must be there is a conversation happening around um you know women in major roles and actually i don't know i never watched the original she-ra so I, it would be very interesting to watch that and see what they've done with it from a 21st century perspective um, but as you were all talking, you know, I was sitting here thinking, do you know what, when it comes to animation specifically, I feel like this conversation is very Western because I was sitting there going, I'm a really big Studio Ghibli fan and think how many amazing female characters are in those films um, for children. If I'd seen them at the age that I saw Disney, um, I feel like this conversation might have been a bit different, but I saw them all as an adult. So I kind of feel like it's, you know, they were never formative. But I mean, like Nausicaa, um, you know, um, Shizuku from Whisper of the Heart, um, House Moving Castle, like obviously that's a Diana Wynne Jones book, but what a great character who I never came across again until I was an adult. Um, just, I could probably sit here and enumerate a ton of other ones, but. Yeah, like there's so many and maybe Miyazaki is better at including, you know, a parity across the genders, you know, for his for his leading characters than than we are over here. That is an interesting point. Um yeah, and again, I didn't see my first 
of them and, until Spirited Away. I saw it in the cinema and that was my first. Oh, another wonderful example. Yeah, and that was the first time I saw it. I, I never had been exposed to that when I was much younger. But when you were talking about that, it did occur to me also that not really great for gender, but in terms of sort of interesting topics and things that were dealt with in a show for children, Disney's Gargoyles did really well. This was a, a show in the 90s. Um, you can watch it on Disney Plus now. It talks about things like gun violence and sexism and generally the sort of being unsafe out in the world and so on. Just, it it's really interesting. And I feel like while I do really love these sort of positive shows, that I, I watch a lot of now, I think it's really sad that I've not really come across really well-written children's cartoons now that actually tackle those kinds of big picture issues, um, which, you know, potentially equality and, and, you know, gender equality, racial equality, sexual identity, equality, all those kinds of things could easily be be tackled and dealt with. And it clearly was possible at one time. So I would really like to see that happen again. Mm. I do feel like there's been some backsliding. Uh, I feel like there was a lot more, especially in the 80s, they were pushing the boundaries a lot more about, you know, what children could be introduced to and at what age. And I feel like, you know, I don't want to get on any kind of political bandwagon here, but I do feel like there's a bit of nannying going on when it comes to, you know, and I think that you, what you were saying, Meg, was fine about, you know, having, you know, the, the, the positive light and more kind of fluffy shows and that those are important too. I just feel like they maybe dominate now, whereas we are missing some of the shows that actually introduce children to stuff that they would encounter as adults but you know at an accessible level oh i'm totally with you on that and as a mother of an eight-year-old i am constantly looking at what she's watching and what i'm recommending and trying to find a balance and what you guys are saying about wishing there was more studio ghibli stuff i find it really difficult to introduce my daughter to that kind of thing because she gets enthusiastic about stuff that her friends have talked about at school so if I just randomly go, oh, there's this cool thing that I really think you'll like, she's kind of like, okay, mummy. And you can tell she's not really into it. But if one of her friends has raved about it, then that's all she wants to watch and we have to find it and download it or buy it or whatever. And I totally agree that there is a lot of stuff out there at the moment that doesn't deal with the interesting issues. And I was watching The Adams Family with my daughter over half term and she kept turning to me and going, but they're not going to die, are they, mummy? And he doesn't really mean it when he says he wants to kill her, does he, mummy? And I think that she was so bemused by this level of death and violence in a film that is a PG. And let's not forget that Frozen and Frozen 2 are also PGs. You know, they're still within that spectrum. That it's just not dealt with. And I think there is an advantage in the older stuff, even if it does have a bit of a gender imbalance, it does deal with issues that you might not get in modern television. Um, and I think there's definitely a, an avenue for that for going forward. 
where you can have all of these things that we loved as as kids in the 80s and 90s and kind of go, well, we kind of want that only with better characters. Breaking the Glass Slipper is written and produced by Megan Lee, Charlotte Bond and Lucy Hounsom. Please help us spread the word. Subscribe and leave a review on your preferred podcast platform. We want to hear from you. Let us know what you would like to hear on the next episode of Breaking the Glass Slipper.